I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. I'm your host, Tom Reed, and we have both of our Penguins beat writers with us today. They're both on the road. We have Taylor Haas in Washington, who covered last night's 5-2 Capitals win. And we have Dave Molinari, who's made like his 16th trip to Long Island this month, is awaiting the big weekend series with the Islanders back-to-back games, Dave, and uh, will be interesting to see what happens there. And later in the show, we will have Newsday's Andrew Gross to kind of help us preview that big set, uh, first game Saturday and the second game on Sunday. Uh, but let's get in back, back into last night's game, you guys. Uh, Taylor, you were there. Uh, walk us through in your mind what were two three of the, the major talking points from the game. I think we all got kind of have an opinion on what they were, but you, you were there uh, walking through us for us. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of did that. My game story, I, you know, listed them one, two, three, uh, the power play kind of the same struggles that uh, have been ailing them for a while now. Um, overpassing, not a lot of shooting, um, just Tom Wilson in general, um, you know, the hit on Jankowski and then, uh, you know, the game winner and then, uh, Bauer <laughs> screwing the thing over those two broken sticks that, uh, you know, led to the game winner and then the empty netter that put it away. But I mean, that, uh, that pretty sums it, that sums it up the three biggest reasons I would say. <laughs> Dave, yeah. we tried to get the Bauer, uh, the ba- Bauer stick rep on the, on the phone. No, just kidding. But I, I, I my guess is that Latang has probably called him about six times already this morning. I mean, you've covered this game. You've seen the evolution of sticks, uh, you know, these sticks now, they have this incredible whip. Guys can fire the puck at ungodly speeds. But my goodness, how many times they break. And especially with a game at 3-2, two, at the Penguins have the net empty. They're trying to get the tying goal. And he receives a pass that was probably going about 5 to 10 miles an hour from Malkin. And his stick just explodes at the blue line and gives the Capitals a freebie to kind of salt the game away. What kind of frustration do these guys sometimes have with, with these sticks? I'm not sure that this current generation of players is all that frustrated by, with them because that seems to be all they've ever known yeah. are, are the composite sticks. And, you know, that's uh, a trait that, that they have. I mean, for people who were watching the game, you know, at a time when, most or all of the sticks were made of wood. Um, you know, a, a broken stick was you know, a, a noteworthy event. Uh, now, you know, you can see it happen half a dozen times in, in a given game, and, you know, it's not going to be anything uh, all that eye-catching. And, you know, as <clears throat> you noted, it, uh, the timing of it was uh, rather unfortunate for Latang on a couple of instances in Thursday night's game. But... Uh, you know, sticks exploding on contact with the puck 
just uh, really isn't that unusual of an event anymore. Yeah, and, and, it, and it brings up a, an interesting point. And I think it's sometimes harder for defensemen. Let's let's set the scene a little bit further, Taylor. In this instance, uh, you know, Latang is a right-handed shot. The the two penalty forward penalty killers, I believe, were Bluger and Tanif, and they're both left-handed shots. So a lot of times you're taught as a forward to hand the stick back to the defenseman because the defenseman is closer to the net. He's the one who's probably going to need it a little more. Try to block the shot with your body if you can. Uh, but in this case. They couldn't do that. And the other part of it is sometimes... Well, if I, if I can just jump in there. I mean, they yeah. they can. I mean, a couple of games ago, um, this kind of happened where Tang broke a stick on a penalty kill. He was out there. Mark Jankowski was the forward. Jankowski's also left-handed shot. And Jankowski immediately handed a stick over. And okay. Latang played with it well to, to you know, finish the kill. So, I mean, it, it's I wouldn't say, you know, like, oh, they can't hand him a, a left-handed, you know, stick. I mean, that's... Because if he if he just has a stick there, he uh, can probably maybe prevent that goal. Well, there's no question if he has a stick in his hand, uh, he can definitely poke check the puck that comes in. We're trying to describe this on a podcast, and we don't have the luxury of having video. But if you if you watch the replay of it, if he has a stick in his hand, he's just poke checking it away from Wilson, and the puck probably goes in the netting somewhere right it, it it is just to get back to that word frustrating for for him uh, what do, do the penguins coaches talk about those situations as far as if you have a chance to go to the bench do you go to the bench and you know i think it's harder for defensemen but what's what's mike sullivan does mike sullivan talk about that dave as far as what he likes his guys to do in those situations i can't tell you exactly what sullivan tells them I, I i mean i don't know but i would think that that has to be a judgment call by the by the player that you know obviously you know it's it's better to have a stick than than not and so you know you you probably would lean toward you know taking the gamble you know the few seconds that you'd be out of the play getting to and from the bench you know, to, to get a stick, you know, a lot of times that would be worthwhile, but there are going to be times uh, when, you know, just simply having your body in the defensive zone uh, is critical, you know, whether you have a stick or not. So I, I really think that it's probably the, the players are, are told to exercise their, their judgment. I don't, I don't know that there can be a hard and fast rule for, uh, for when a player should should go to the uh, bench to get a stick. I mean, yeah, if I can jump in there, uh, Sullivan did say after the game that obviously one of the forwards should have given Latang a stick. So okay, so he so so they went ahead and said to go ahead and give him the stick, even though it was the wrong-handed stick. He, he said obviously they should have done that. So regardless of you know the handedness, he said okay, he, he should have had a stick there. Yeah, yeah, and because it it was again, it, it is a helpless feeling for defensemen out there in that situation. Uh, he, did a, he did a good job because I mean he was out there like an extended time without without the stick and in the beginning I mean he did a good job of um, just, you know blocking you know because he, he blocked the shot he, he did a good job without the stick at first but then you know when it when they had the shot there was just nothing he could do. Yes, the other obviously the other the other storyline in this game, of course, if it's Capitals and Penguins somewhere lurking is always Tom Wilson. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the 
the first period hit on Jankowski. Uh, I thought it was late. I thought it was okay where he hit him. He didn't hit him in the head. But it being Tom Wilson, it's always going to create a dust-up. And Taylor, uh, in an empty arena, you, you can hear what's going down on the ice and try to keep it uh, – give us the PG version of, of kind of what went on between Malkin – uh, and Wilson, while Wilson's sitting in the penalty box. Yeah, it's great. Capital One Arena, they don't have us in the press box. They have us in, like, the, the club suites. Like, so not that far back from, from the ice. And they're not pumping in the artificial crowd noise, so we can hear everything. Um, I mean, Wilson's in the box. Uh, Malkin yells, like, you know, nice seven hit. Uh, Wilson calls him, like, an effing clown. Uh, he's arguing with the refs. He says um, it was too effing milliseconds late it was a great effing hit in like two two milliseconds i don't think uh math is wilson's strong suit but i mean like you don't need like a stop <laughs> i know that um yeah, more than a little bit more than two milliseconds late if you look at the hit i mean I, even i saw um like on the capitals broadcast like locker and Benanati said you like it was a late hit and like for them to say that um, well yeah it was a late hit and he's oh, lucky yes. yeah. he's lucky as far as with his history of suspension, he, I think he's lucky that Jankowski came back in that game because obviously they called it two minutes on the ice. Uh, but if the guy is injured and for a minute there, boy, he was down. He was down. It felt like about 20, 30 seconds at least. Uh, you did wonder if he was going to be able to continue in the game. But then, of course, you know, to add insult to literally injury, uh, Wilson ends up scoring the game-winning goal. Um, and I, again, I keep coming back to the, the frustrating night for the Penguins because they got down to nothing and it looked like just one of those nights where they had chances. They had a lot of chances, actually. Uh, they had some great chances shorthanded. Tanev ends up scoring shorthanded. He could have scored a goal earlier than that, but they just were not going to get rewarded. And then for it to come down to that uh, is, it was a rough game. And Dave, you've seen this power play. It ends up coming, like we said, it ends up Washington getting the power play and the Penguins not taking advantage of their chances on the power play. You've seen that movie way too many times this season, right? Yeah, and I mean, they actually, in the, in the previous couple of games, the Penguins had you know, actually started to shoot the puck uh, when, when they had power plays, and they had scored a couple of goals. They looked like they were starting to get into a, a pretty decent rhythm. They had only had a handful of power plays, but they had been taking advantage of them. Uh, but then on Thursday night, they uh, they had four chances with the man advantage, um, got a total of four shots on them. Um, several of the power plays, once again, all they did was move the puck, uh, you know, around the perimeter, which just isn't very threatening or productive. Uh, so at least for that one game, the uh, the power play really regressed and you could make a case that it, it cost them at least one point, if not two. Taylor, the uh, other the news of the day, so to speak, uh, was the, the Penguins did, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit more in our next segment, but Jason Zucker looks like he's going to be out for a while. I think uh, Sullivan said that they're hopeful that they can get him back before he, the end of the He really wouldn't answer that. Um, he was asked uh, after the game if, you know, if they expect to have him back, and he kind of fumbled his words for a few seconds he didn't really know how to answer it. and he said they hope so but the reason 
um, you know, they just say longer term and they're not giving a time frame. It's because they really don't know. They don't. He said like every player responds to injuries different. So um, he said they hope that they do, but really it seems like they don't. They don't know. But I mean, if if it's not unclear, it, it's gonna it's gonna be a while. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, they, they've they've gone through this rash of injuries on defense, and they're finally kind of getting back close to getting their 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 complement of defensemen kind of back. Dumoulin's probably a little. He's skating, right? Dumoulin is skating. Dumoulin and Rodriguez are back in Pittsburgh skating with skills coach Ty Hennis. Um, Ricola has been practicing in full for a little bit now. Um, Jared McCain was just cleared for contact on Thursday. Um, so he, he took part in the optional morning skate in a, in a regular contact jersey, not a whole lot of contact in an optional morning skate anyway. Um, but and he, had, he had been practicing for, for two days in a, in a non-contact jersey. So um, he wasn't ready to play yet in this game, but uh, it should be probably within the week. Dave, that kind of absence that in that player, uh, you know, what, I mean, how, obviously it hurts, but how much is this going to hurt them uh, if they can't get him back in the next three to four weeks? Uh, you know, he's he's a legitimate top six forward, and I think he, uh, you know, his his production on the ice this season has been so-so. You know, nothing special, but I think that in uh, his time – since being acquired from Minnesota, he's become a pretty significant presence in their locker room from, from what I understand. And, you know, that, that it will be, you know, kind of tough to measure uh, how uh, his absence, uh, you know, the impact it will have in there. But I think that's something that uh, will be worth trying to keep an eye on, you know, what, what kind of leadership void his absence creates. And as I say, you know, you, you lose a top six forward uh, in the salary cap era. Most teams don't have the luxury of keeping, having a spare one of those on, on the shelf that you can uh, pull down and, and plug right in without uh, missing a beat. So yeah, it's, it's a setback, but you know, dealing with injuries and overcoming them is part of the challenge of succeeding in this league. All right, we uh, just getting started here on the 66 to 87 podcast. We'll be back in a minute. Uh, stick with us. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. We will be joined shortly uh, by Andrew Gross of Newsday. We'll be previewing yet another set of games with the Islanders. Uh, but first, I want to kick around a few topics, team topics here, as uh, we're starting to uh, approach the, I guess you would call it the one-third poll, 18, 17, 18 games into the season. And, boy, a couple of weeks ago, we couldn't have really spoken about uh, pleasant surprises because there wasn't a lot of pleasantry about this team. Uh, but they play, they've been playing better. Uh, what have you guys, if you guys had to pick out one thing about this team that has been a pleasant surprise, whether it be a player or a group of players or just a, something that you've seen that has been pleasant about this team that you weren't expecting, what would it be? Dave, let's start with you. Uh, I would probably, I mean, you could certainly m- make a case for a couple of things. I, my inclination would probably be to go with uh, Teddy Bluger specifically as an individual, the uh, continued upward trajectory of his overall game and the continued strong play of his line carrying over from uh, the way it played last season. You know, it was, uh, you you know, the numbers that are assigned to uh, lines by people on the outside don't really matter much, but it was, uh, that line was viewed as the fourth line last year. I think it's a consensus choice as the third line this year indicates uh you know the the level at w- at which it has performed and it, i mean it's been a very solid two-way line you, you know very responsible defensively uh you know with uh, more than occasional contributions to, to the offense um i think they have to be very happy with what they've gotten out of those guys so far yeah and it's it's taylor i just want you to jump in here on this and then i'm going to ask you the same question uh, obviously, winning cups in 16 and 17, they had such a terrific third line. Uh, then, you know, Nick Medina leads first, and obviously other departures uh, with Phil Kessel. And I think that's been a problem the last couple of years, especially last year where they tried to build up that third line and it didn't work. In the playoffs, if this team gets that far, that is an important line. Everyone always talks about the first two lines, but if this if this group can hold together and play at the level they're playing right now, I think that's a huge plus for this team if they do make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that would be huge. Uh, like you said, Hagelin, Benino, Kessel, even, I mean, back in 09, Stahl, Kennedy, Cook, like those, um, the third line were really key in those runs. And, uh, I mean, you look at, like, the playoffs last year and, like, Patrick Marlowe, like, on that line, and it, it they just didn't mesh. But, I mean, this is a real solid third line. This is – um. Yeah, this is going to be huge when they when they get into the playoffs, especially if you're playing against, you know, like the Islanders who have like really strong, deep, you know, bottom six, uh, you know, lineups, too. So, yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, it was interesting. David Quinn, someone asked David Quinn the other day about what what makes that Sezikis line, who, of course, the Penguins are going to see here again very shortly. Uh, so good against your team and meaning the Rangers. And his response was. They're good against every team because there just aren't many lines like that anymore. Yeah. Just guys that don't play that way. And, I, and my mind immediately jumps to a guy like Brandon Tanev. That's, you know, maybe fans were jarred by how much money he was paid in the term. Uh, but he brings that element to that line. And uh, that line just seems to work very well together. Okay. 
beyond that, beyond the third line, beyond Bluegrass, and I agree with you 100%, Dave, on, on, on Bluegrass. I've really been impressed with his, uh, his improvement. Taylor, who else jumps out to you as far as someone who's, who's really helped this team and you weren't expecting it? I mean, just P.O., um, just seeing, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone expected him to get a shot at the NHL at this point in the season, and he's been playing on the top pairing, like, right, in, for how many games now? Yep. Um, so he, he has kind of cooled off as of late. He hasn't been bad. Um, he has kind of cooled off, but uh, I mean, just to be able to step into that that role after all the injuries they've had and 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 survive to farewell, I mean that that's huge. Even though you talk to um, you know Volucci or JD Forrest, and they'll all tell you like you know he was ready to come up to the NHL uh, like last of December, uh, but uh, for him to come up in in this capacity in this role, I mean this this has to be a little bit of a surprise. Dave, your thoughts on that? Because as Taylor mentioned, there has been a little bit of a leveling off for sure. But just to get him playing the way he was playing, especially early on, and really kind of got them going, right? When they, when they were kind of scrambling back there, he, you know, he has been, he was playing well when this little mini hot streak uh, got going. Yeah, well, I mean, all the injuries to their left-handed defenseman could have sabotaged their entire season uh, if he hadn't stepped up the way he did. Uh, you know, he may or may not have been ready for the NHL last season, but I don't think even his mom and dad would have said that he could step onto a number one pairing for a good NHL team and make himself as a uh, integral a part of of the team as he did and while he hasn't been able to maintain the level of play that he uh attained in his first half dozen games or so uh he's still been you know perfectly acceptable uh at that uh you know in, in the role he's been given and uh you know there's uh, every reason to think that uh you know, he will be able to contribute to, the, to this team for, for a lot of years to come, even if he would uh, ultimately lose his uh, place when when the uh, the left-handed defenseman continue to return from the injured list. Yeah. Well, last night, uh, moving on, last night we got a taste of what life would be like in the short term without Jason Zucker, who's now out with a lower body injury. Uh, uh, Mike Sullivan saying that it's kind of he turned it as longer term, so we'll we'll see exactly how much how many weeks or games he misses. Uh, Zach Aston Reese uh, kind of was the placeholder right at least to start with. He he got the first shot at moving up in the lineup, but if this is multiple weeks, who do you guys think ends up in that position on that second line, which is obviously of critical importance, Taylor? Yeah, so uh, Thursday's morning skate, Sullivan was asked, um, you know, who, the player who does play in that in that line, um, on Malkin's line, uh, ideally, you know, what kind of player would they be? And, uh, I mean, he, he pretty much described Aston Reese. He said, you know, conscientious 2A game, has some defensive capabilities, uh, but also a guy that has the willingness to go to the net, which, like, that, that is Aston Reese. Um, I don't know, like may, maybe you'd say Tanev too. Um, and I know, um, 
know, people, I, I've gotten like three tweets asking, like, do you think when McCann's ready, he's going to be up there? Because uh, McCann was cleared for contact on, on Thursday. Um, and when, uh, when Sullivan was asked, you know, like, could, could McCann be in that role? And Sullivan, you know, he, he you know, described McCann's game and uh, what he would bring to the lineup. But like, the way he described McCann was nothing like what he described Malkin's ideal winger would be. So I, I don't know um, if McCann would be a good fit on that role in on that line. Um, I, I think Haston Reese is, is the guy. I mean, in uh, Wednesday's Wednesday's practice, he said, you know, we have several options who could who could fill in that role. I really don't think they do. I think you're you're between like Aston Reese and probably Tano. Um, but I mean, I would stick with Aston Reese if that you know continues to to look okay. Dave. I would be uh, inclined to go with McCann there simply because, as we uh, talked of the, of the Bluger line before, I wouldn't want to mess with that line, uh, you know, without a guarantee that it would work out well. I mean, you could be screwing up two lines by by moving Aston Reese up with uh, with Malkin. Uh, you know, and and putting somebody else in Aston Reese's place with with Bluger and Tanov, um, I you know I think uh, that uh, you know McCann has a skill set that would allow him to fill in adequately in that spot. I don't certainly don't think he would be an upgrade on Zucker. Um, I find it hard to believe that he would uh, you know take over that place permanently, but. If it were my call to make, I would uh, I would put him there, you know, until uh, at least in in the short term. Once he is uh, able to return to games. Interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, one of the one of the guys we were just talking a little bit about Pio Joseph a couple of minutes ago. The guy who was kind of like Pio Joseph last year, as far as the arrival uh, uh, of a of a young defenseman was John Marino. Uh, you know, he was, he ends up, he ends up getting traded for has a terrific rookie season. But I think one of the things that we learn in hockey and really in all sports is progress for young players, especially defensemen, isn't always linear. Uh, you know, we, you look at a guy, his teammate, Adam Fox in New York, who's playing on a bad team, but is having a really good second season. And a lot of fans are like, well, you know, what's going on here? Well, you know, why is he having a great season? And, and some of these other guys are struggling in their second season. I think John Marino has been okay. Uh, but I don't think, I think some people were thinking, wow, he was so good last year. What he's going to be like this year. What have you guys seen in, 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 in Marino's game to this point? Don't be afraid. To well, jump. Yeah. Some of his, you know, he he certainly is not playing at at the level that he consistently reached uh, last season. You know, um, th there's I don't know, kind of maybe a precision uh, missing from from some of his execution. Uh, he's made the odd uh, bad decision, which you know was extremely rare last season. Uh, but as you say. You know, you can't expect a young defenseman's trajectory uh, to always, you know, go steadily upward. There are going to be bumps. There are going to be hiccups. Uh, for whatever reason, 
Uh, a lot of sports do have uh, what gets uh, designated as a sophomore jinx. Um, you know, I, I don't know that a jinx has anything to do with it, but there, you know, it, it isn't uh, all that unusual for, for a guy to regress a bit uh, during his second pro season. Yeah, having covered the Blue Jackets for the last four or five years, we saw it with Zach Wierenski, who was just terrific his rookie season. His second season had some shoulder issues, uh, had some defensive issues, uh, kind of ran into a little bit of the doghouse of John Tortorella, and it was a struggle. But then, he, of course, he bounced right back and has become a really good player. Taylor, one of the differences this year with Marino is obvious. We just talked about it earlier, all the fluctuation on the back end. He played a lot with Pedersen as a rookie, uh, had had a, had some uh, real kind of stability there. Obviously, this year it's been different. Uh, could that be playing a little bit of part in, in what's going on with John Marino? Yeah, I mean, earlier in the season, um, uh, you know, when, when they were really hurting on, on defense with the injuries, he was playing on his offside and um, – you know, right. like the, the pairings were changing often with new defensemen going down every game. Um, so in coming off of that, I think it's hard to to maybe judge his season um, just because he did spend so much so much time like you know on his offside, and then um, things are just now kind of settling down. But uh, I mean, he's he's playing with Matheson, who who is very up and down. Um, <laughs> I mean, if it. it even like in, in a single game, you know, he'll do something like incredible. Like it show off his like offensive instincts and then um, make like a really dumb decision, like defensively, um, you know, some games he's like, just, re- he's, he's, he's been awful, but then like some games um, uh, like what, like last week uh, he, he put, he put together like a string of like two, like two, three really good games. So um, I think you have to take that into account when you're looking at how, how Marino has been playing is that, you know, Matheson is just kind of very unpredictable with how he's what version of Matheson we're going to get that night or even you know that period um so uh I I think it's tough I don't think I mean we're, he hasn't been bad uh but no. yeah like we said he has kind of cooled off from last season but there's so many other circumstances to yeah that. and that's the point we're trying to make here that there yeah. are variables for this and again it, it for me it is the hardest position for a young player to come into the league and play well uh forwards you can kind of hide it goaltenders they don't even seem to care they can just bring some guy up and he could win the con smite trophy like it just i i don't i've never understood that with the goaltenders i guess they don't really have to rely on anybody else again what we're just talking about they just stop the puck see puck stop it uh but i agree with you this guy's too good to me I, i've seen too much of him last year that to, to think that that he won't find his game and again that will just add to to what's going on uh, with this team that is starting to, sh- as we've mentioned the last podcast, starting to show signs that uh, they're coming around a little bit. All right, uh, heading into our third and final segment of the 66 to 87 podcast. When we come back, we will be joined by Newsday's Andrew Gross. back to our third segment of the 66 to 87 podcast we are pleased to be joined by andrew gross from newsday uh, i think andrew is driving in the lovely uh long island traffic today uh andrew you you've the team has now had a couple years of barry trots what difference 
has Trotz made uh, to that organization uh, since he's been there? Um, I mean, you probably have to include Lou Lamarillo in that, but uh, it's pretty simple. It's, It's accountability and it's no gray matter. Everything is black and white and everyone knows exactly what their roles are and what the expectations are. Um, you know, Barry Trotz is a good teacher. Um, him and his staff with Lane Lambert and John Gruden, uh, you know, got the, uh, got the defense sorted out right away. And that was, uh, you know, that was something that Barry Trotz said was going to be easy to do. I kind of, you know, sort of laughed at that when he said that. But, you know, they went in Barry's first year from giving up the most goals in the NHL uh, at 293. And, you know, a year later, they're giving up the fewest goals in the NHL. So, uh, you know, Barry was right. It starts with the defense. He he cuts down the goals against. He puts in a good defensive structure. And uh, he makes life a lot easier on whoever is manning the nets for the uh, Islanders. At what point, obviously this team made a nice run to the conference finals last year. What pieces or how long, much longer do you think it could take for this team to play in a cup final? What are they, what do they still need to kind of get them into that, into that realm where they can take on a team like Tampa Bay and and compete and get to the final? Well, I think they need a, you know, some more dangerous scoring. Um, You know, I know, Barry and Lou always talk about the fact that it's more about, you know, the goal differential than the number of goals you score. But I, I still think, you know, offensively, this team doesn't really scare a lot of opponents. You know, they, you know, yes, Matthew Barzell is an, is an elite talent, but they don't really have that really dangerous line like the Bruins have, you know, with uh, Bergeron, Marchand and Pasternak or, or, or the Penguins do whoever plays with Sydney, you know, the Islanders don't really have that. Um, They're really hoping that rookie Oliver Wallstrom develops into that really dangerous scoring threat. And then you have, you know, a little bit of depth there. Jordan Everly kind of scores, is a streaky score. Anders Lee is having a much better season this season, uh, scoring again on the power play and really, uh, you know, just, being a good force in the offensive zone. Um, but, you know, I, I think if it's one spot the Islanders need to improve, it's, it, it's you know, the dangerous chances they create. What makes the, the fourth line as, as good as it is? And why haven't we, because, I mean, it's arguably, you know, the best fourth line in, in the league. And why haven't we seen other, you know, teams be able to replicate the success the Islanders have had with the fourth line? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's kind of odd. I mean, that trio is just clicked from the first season, you know, Cal Clutterbuck gets traded here from the wild. Um, and though that, that trio just really clicked together and, you know, it's, it's very odd to watch because whenever one of them is hurt, uh, the rest of the line, I don't want to say it falls apart, but the line just doesn't, just doesn't operate at the same level. It's like the sum is much greater than the, uh, you know, the, the, the parts there. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a special trio. It's a special combination. Um, and, and, you know, as to why other teams can't really replicate that long-term success, probably because, you know, the Islanders and Barry Trotz value this uh, in a day and age in the NHL when, maybe some other coaches don't wouldn't value 
uh, with this Ezekiel, Matt Martin, Cal Clutterbuck line brings as much. Uh, that's a good point. David Quinn, I think the last time that they were they played the Rangers, one of the Rangers writers actually asked them, uh, why do they give so much trouble against the Rangers? And Quinn said, well, he, they give trouble against everybody. And part of it is there's just so few guys in the league that, that do that anymore. You know, everyone says, well, why can't you get a, a fourth line like the Islanders? It's, part of it's because there's just not a lot of guys that play the game that way anymore, correct? Yeah, no, it, it, it's very true. I mean, I, you know, the way, you know, Barry just refuses to call him a fourth line. He always, ident- uh, you know, calls him the identity line. And it, it's because, you know, he feels those three, when they're playing well, set the identity for how the whole team is going to play. Sort of that blue collar, you know, legs always moving you know, hard on the forecheck mentality um, that, that those three have when they're, they're going well. And, uh, you know, they don't necessarily get fourth line minutes. If anything, you know, the Sezikis line has been averaging, I think, more ice time for the most part than, you know, whoever gets put on Jean-Gabriel Pajot's two wings, Pajot being the third line center. But he's, he's operated with a rotating cast of wings all season. Uh, Wallstrom seems to have found a spot there. I, I believe this will be the 10th straight game that Wallstrom is on Pajot's right wing. Uh, but, but, you know, all through the season, Pajot, I think, has played with everybody on the roster. And oftentimes, as games progress, Barry sort of pulls back from using that as a, as a solid line and starts, you know, uh, double shifting Pajot elsewhere including sometimes on Sezikis's left wing. So, you know, the Sezikis line is not treated in any way as, as, as a true fourth line. Yeah, good point. We'll get you out of here on this. Uh, what is going on with the Islanders in an attempt to get some fans in that building? We're starting to see around the league, and I think even with the Rangers in New York are, 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 try, are going to be very close to bringing in fans. Where are the Islanders as far as getting fans back in that building and and what what's it going to take to get there? Yeah, no, we finally had news on that yesterday. And you're right, the Islanders have lagged behind the other, uh, you know, the Rangers and the Devils, the other teams and, and the Sabres. If you're looking at New York State, the Rangers and the Sabres, and then New Jersey's allowing fans in. So the Devils are getting fans in March 2nd. Um, the, the Rangers are getting fans in. I believe it's uh, tomorrow night. Uh, the Knicks have already had fans at Madison Square Garden the next. That's have had fans at Barclays Center. Um, Nassau Coliseum is just a different animal. It's so <laughs> antiquated and that working out the logistics there just took a little bit of time. Um, and, and the other issue with the Coliseum is the leaseholder, uh, Mikhail Prokhorov, who uh, used to own the Nets in Brooklyn, um, his company, Onexum, just walked away from its lease uh, in June. Uh, June of 2020, and at that point, the Coliseum was literally shuttered, as it was, you know, it was not going to be operated. They had to really scramble to find a new leaseholder, someone who would run the uh, uh, the Coliseum for the uh, for the uh, Nassau County. But in the meantime, you know, they lost all their staff, so they're still in the process of rehiring concession security all of that and and it just took a little while to get the logistics together 
for a timetable to get fans in. But yesterday we did learn that on March 18th was when season ticket holders, uh, you know, at 10% of capacity. Uh, so slightly under 1,400 people. Um, that March 18th is the first day for season ticket subscribers. But what uh, the Islanders are doing, their March 11th game against the Devils at Nassau Coliseum, they're inviting 1,000 Northwell Health frontline workers. Those are the nurses and the, and the health workers who have, you know, just done such incredible work through the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the Islanders are going to invite a thousand of those frontline workers in as their guests to see the Islanders Devils on March 11th. And uh, that, that's going to be a very special night. Yeah, that's good stuff. And I, I, for one, have always enjoyed coming to the Coliseum. It's a hard place to get to, but I, I've, I've always enjoyed coming there. Andrew, thank you so much for being our guest this week and uh, safe travels uh, as you go through the season. And that does it for us today on the 66 to 87 podcast. For Taylor Haas, Dave Molinari, I'm Tom Reed. We'll see you again next Tuesday.